So do you have a copy of God's Word? If you do, if you could take it and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And Emma's going to come read. She's going to begin reading in verse 3. 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 3. This is God's word. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Thank you so much for reading. Emma, as you heard those words, you heard words like affliction and suffering. And on one hand, a conversation about trials and difficulty and pain, suffering. On one hand, it could seem out of place because a lot of our thoughts about Christmas aren't exactly in that vein. So a lot of our thoughts about Christmas, again, not all, but a lot are about Joy, I mean, we've sang joy to the world. It's about, I mean, there's the side of it that's presents and parties and maybe bonuses, family time. But this passage that Emma read is about suffering. So on one hand, it could seem like that may not be a topic that seems relevant for the season, but actually you just peel a little bit below the surface. And I think it makes a lot of sense to linger here. Because Christmas, with all, all that it brings and all that it promises, so every year we do it, right? So every year it seems like it promises a whole lot of things, but a lot of things come riding in with it as well. A lot of extra, a lot of extra hurt. It seems for some reason in a lot of families and a lot of situations that attaches itself particularly to Christmas. There's pressure Maybe it's schedule or calendar pressure, or maybe it's some other sort of pressure that, that seems like uniquely it ramps up at Christmas time. There's pain, there's depression, and maybe it's because you come to the end of the year and you look back to 2022. And I'm guessing for some, if not many, 2022 is maybe a year that you look back and go, it was just in some ways unusually unbearable. I would guess wherever you are with Bible knowledge, so in a room this size, there would be lots of different levels of Bible knowledge, and that's great. There'd be some very, very familiar, decades 
of familiarity with the Bible. There are others that I think would be pretty new. I'm guessing wherever you land with like Bible knowledge, all things being equal, I'm guessing most all of us significantly understate how much and how well the Bible speaks to suffering. We look at a book that was written a couple thousand years ago, sometimes 3,000 years ago in some places, where we look at some of those words and, and we wonder how can it speak to what situations we're in. But I, I want to remind you of how, how well the Bible deals with the condition of suffering for humans, how carefully it deals with it. The Bible speaks to it so, so much. And with some of the few messages that I had left at Ogletown, I wanted to share some of the things that I feel like God has taught me and retaught me and is teaching me what God has given even through some seasons of suffering where God continues to teach. Just the note before we dig in, we're, we're going to look at these verses, try to understand them in some, some places phrase by phrase. But when Paul talks here about suffering and affliction, I just want to note a couple things, and I think they're important things. Paul's writing as a follower of Jesus to a congregation who follows Jesus. But he doesn't detail all the suffering and affliction, and I think that's helpful for us to realize. He doesn't, he doesn't specify every single aspect of that, which is helpful because one tendency you might have, I know I have, is, is to compare and it would be easy for me if he named specifics, I could write that off of going, well, that's not really what I'm dealing with. He has no, and so I think there's so much wisdom in Paul sharing and obviously inspiration of, of the Holy Spirit letting us know there are a lot of different categories of suffering and affliction. But I also think it's helpful, especially even in verse eight, that Paul does, he is talking about some things that get specific. So he's going to talk about that one time in Asia when I went through this season. Just so we know, this isn't something generic. There were real memories attached to some really hard stuff that Paul had to deal with. Just again, so we know he's not going, hypothetically, should one deal with tough times? He's going to take us through a, a particular experience without a ton of details. He's going to pull us into that so that we know the things that frankly make it hard for you to think about a message today because of the intense suffering or the pain that you've endured. Just so you know, God cares about that. So our focus starts in verse 3. Emma, Emma read it a moment ago, right? Bless be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, all praise, all honor is going to God, the Father of King Jesus, Jesus the Messiah. And it says that God is the Father of mercy. So he's the God who cares very, very much, and he acts in compassion. And then it tells us that he is the source of comfort. I put comfort in bold there, just so you will see. In verse 3, the word comfort. In verse 4, the word comfort. In verse 5, the word comfort. In verse 6 and verse 7, again and again, the word comfort comes up. Verse 4, God comforts us in all of our affliction. Verse 5, we share abundantly in comfort. The idea with abundantly is like we receive comfort and then it overflows. It spills over and finds another landing spot. So comfort goes even further. And there are aspects of God's grace in suffering and affliction that I want us to talk about. I want you to see. And here's where I'd like to start. I'd like to recognize just straight in the face that suffering can weaken us. 
but God gives active help in our suffering. So while suffering can weaken us, can lay us low, affliction can lay us low, God gives us active help. You say, Curtis, I don't, where's the word active help? Well, it is embedded in that idea of comfort. If you have an idea like comfort just means like patting someone on the head, they're there, it'll be okay. You've got too small of an idea of what the word comfort means in the Bible. This is actually a, a strong, strong word in the Bible. The idea of comfort is, is like going after finding someone in need. That's what comfort is. Coming alongside them, coming alongside the person in trouble and in sorrow. And so when it says God is the God of all comfort, he comes alongside even without asking. And he brings active help. This is who our God is. This is different. This is different from the well-meaning person, probably, maybe even that you encountered this week that says, if you ever need anything, just ask for help. I'm glad to help you. God actually does more than that. He doesn't just say, if by chance you ever need anything, I'm here and I'm happy to help. He actually helps us. Kind of with, with or without our permission, he comes alongside because he knows how frail, how weak we are. So yes, suffering weakens us. And God looks for ways to bring encouragement and support. He pours strength in you. I can do all things through Christ who infuses me, who gives me strength. This is why the Holy Spirit, some of you will know this, like this is the exact same root word where we have the comforter or the helper. This is God himself, the third person of the Trinity, coming alongside, helping us. All of this active help and spiritual support. Most of the time, we don't, we don't really ask for suffering. That's not what we want. The only, the only scenario that I could think of where I actually may ask for suffering or where a person may actually ask for suffering is like maybe when they're trying to be disciplined and go to work out. Now, I don't work out, but assuming someone goes to work out, they're going to inflict pain on themselves. And the idea would be if they do that, then they, there's an end product in mind and they're willing to endure some short-term pain for some, I mean, that's about the only place where I would think someone really, really welcomes suffering into their life. Most of life isn't like that. Most of suffering happens because we live, hear this, most of suffering happens because we live in a broken world, a fallen world. I mean, you may be tempted to try to think there is a specific plot like this, conspiracy that is totally against you. But often the suffering we, we're enduring, maybe a season of uncertainty that has gone longer and longer and longer, now it's begun to hurt because it's, we're uncertain. It's a result of living in a fallen world. We suffer because someone else sins. Or maybe just someone else is foolish. Someone else is immature and we have to pay the price for that. Or maybe we don't actually point the finger. We, we suffer like we have to, have to point it at ourselves because we realize we have issues and our own issues, which can be the most painful and the most shameful because we realize we, we messed up and our suffering comes as a result of that. Suffering weakens us and you can't run from that. You can't hide from that. It doesn't. I mean, 
it's a nice motto that may have some mileage to say, you know, it doesn't kill you, makes you stronger. That, that may help a little bit. I think I found actually that doesn't hold up against suffering that gets really, really intense. You find yourself blown out, hurt, confused, tired, and feeling very, very weak. And it's at that moment where you are weak that you're a prime candidate for the active help of God. The active help of God. Comfort, not just, again, in taking your emotional register and making it a little bit higher than it um, We're talking about the powerful work of God. And I, I jotted down some ways in which the, God's help has become active to me. And you probably could take this list and expand 30 or 40 more ways. But I, I wrote down there are times where I've, I've received the active help of God in bringing me a friend. And sometimes that friend has been a familiar friend and sometimes that's been a new friend. But God brings someone like a human being that reminds me our paths didn't have to cross, but God saw to it. It's active help, the God of all comfort. Sometimes that active help has been in settling my emotions. There are times where the emotions should be like extremely up and down, and yet there's an unusual sense of peace, and I can't chalk it up to anything that I've done or some mindset I'm trying to have. It just is like the Lord stabilizing some things. Sometimes the active help comes in changing the circumstances. So you've asked the Lord, like, please help, and he changes. He changes things. Sometimes it's through relieving pressure or burdens. Not every time, but sometimes it's the burden you felt, and then one day what you were so worried about actually got took care of and brought active help so you don't have to carry this weight that maybe you carried for years. Sometimes it's in the words of someone we may not even know that well. So God has spoken into my life through people that I didn't even know that well. Sometimes people that you, you barely know at all, but again, God and his sovereignty and his goodness had just the right moment to intersect your lives with them. Sometimes it's the, the deep truth planted in our souls. Sometimes it is a concept like Emmanuel. And we were singing about like, Emmanuel, who will free us from Satan's tyranny. And there's sometimes truth like that. Lance, sometimes it is a song, isn't it? That has a way of putting something together that emotionally does something and, and spiritually does something. Sometimes it's actually looking at our lives. And so I would hope none of us are where we want to be just yet when it comes to our relationship with God. I, I hope all of us want to grow to be more mature but sometimes we take stock and we take inventory, not in a proud way, but we go like, Lord, you have brought me so far. And there's something about active help that comes like, okay, Lord, you are working. I see this. I would not have responded in this way a year ago, five years ago. God's grace, God's strength is shown according to this same book. At the end of the book, Paul has no problem reminding us that God's strength is shown not in our strength but actually in our weakness. When I, when I talk about suffering, I, I tread carefully here because some of you might have suffered so long or so intensely that you've grown cynical and tired and maybe you feel so much at the bottom that you begin to just not even know that God cares. Maybe you have begun, I mean, maybe you have very little Christian background and so you chalk up bad things happening to either just kind of bad luck or karma or it just is what it is. 
maybe you've never really felt that God was personally interested in you. Maybe you thought, like, I got to pretend for all these other people that I've got everything together, that I've got my act together, and I've got to pretend. And now, I mean, there's times where that, yeah, that strategy just blows up and you feel so weak. And I, I'm positive I don't even know some of you who I prayed for this week. I don't even know the circumstances, but God took maybe 2022 and just shook things so, so violently in your life. Not even knowing, I prayed for you. I prayed that you would realize how much God cares, how much God is moving towards you. Not on a, hey, I'm here if you need me kind of basis, but I'm engaging in your life. I want to build on this idea of God comforting because verse four says that God does comfort but he comforts us so that we would be able to comfort those in any affliction. He comforts us in all of our afflictions so that we'd be able to comfort those in any affliction. That's significant to me. It's significant for this reason because I find that sometimes when we go through the most difficult times, it feels like we're all alone. I mean, it doesn't matter whether you are married or have kids, lots of people in your house, you have roommates. I mean, sometimes suffering can be so intense that it feels very, very isolating. And I think 2 Corinthians 1 helps us appreciate something. It actually pulls us a little bit wider and recognizes we aren't alone. Even though sometimes suffering means you have to focus on some intentional things where it feels like you don't even have time for friendship because you're just trying to survive. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 6. I want you to notice the wording here. Notice the uh, choice of just how it goes back and forth with the pronouns, kind of the characters here. So it says, Paul's saying, if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. It's connecting some dots. Paul's saying, when we are afflicted, there's something going on. You experience a measure of salvation as a result. Salvation in scripture, I mean, a lot of you know the word saved or salvation, it, deal, it handles a couple different concepts. So one of those certainly is eternal salvation, eternally delivered, eternally rescued, so that we don't suffer eternally in hell apart from God. But salvation also in, in many places is just like a, a, a rescue, spiritual protection so that you don't have to face all that could be unleashed on you. And so when Paul is writing this, he is telling us, when I'm afflicted, you might be in a better, a safer place spiritually because of affliction that God is doing in my life. He says in verse 7, notice again, this isn't just something isolating. Paul isn't just saying, I'm having to gut it out, me and Jesus. But he's thinking about them. He says, our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you also will share in our comfort. These are words of confidence when Paul says, here's our hope for you. When we say hope, this is what we mean. I don't know if it's going to work out that way. I'm pretty uncertain, but I hope so. In the Bible, most every time you read hope, there's not a, like a note of uncertainty. It's actually more assurance. So we've got to kind of mentally do that. When he says, our hope for you is unshaken, he's not crossing his fingers, hoping everything works out. He's saying, actually, the things are pretty firm here. You are going to make it. Our hope for you is unwavering. It's a word of confidence. We're not going to be disappointed here. Paul is connecting 
their suffering with his, and he's reminding them and us, yes, suffering can isolate us, but God gives us each other. Suffering can isolate us, but God gives us others. This passage will not make sense to you if you think church is mainly about coming in a room and occupying a seat on a Sunday morning. Actually, you have to have the full idea of what church, what the gathering, the assembly of, of believers in Jesus Christ is. It's a community of which we need each other. And so, as suffering may isolate us, God pulls us together and gives us each other. When we suffer, we have a capacity that we did not have before to help others when they suffer. God pulls us together. God unites us in that. I found that. I found that in my life. I, I often relate easier to people when I've had some similar experiences. Something bonds us. You, you, if I could share very personally, when I know someone has lost their dad, there's an empathy. Of course, I don't know all that they've gone through, but there's something in our hearts that bind us closer. When I, when I talk to a family that's experienced a miscarriage, there's something of, again, no two situations are alike, but I know what it's like to walk through those waters. There's suffering. There are deep days. We're bonded together. Our empathy grows. Our heart becomes more tender. We listen better. Even when we don't have all the answers, we know better questions to ask. We know better how to be there. We know, like, oh, this would be a season where I keep my mouth shut. And I just show that I love them. We, p- we pray more intentional prayers our wisdom and our capacity to help grows, our ability to be an example. We serve others with our suffering. And even saying that, I want to be cautious and I want to tread lightly. I do want you to see how God brings others, how you going through suffering can help others. I want you to know that. I don't want you to question that. But Ecclesiastes would remind us there's a time for everything. So some of you right now are going through the most intense suffering, the most difficult pain. Maybe it's family-related. Maybe it's health-related. Maybe it's emotional. Maybe it's, you know, your body chemistry. Maybe it's all these things that are causing life to be very difficult. And I just want to be careful. I don't want you to feel me pressing you to say, immediately, you need to think, how can I help others? How can I help others with this? I am fully confident God will use it even if it's down the road. Don't, don't feel like you've got to go zero to 60 on like, okay, I'm suffering now. How can that help someone? God, God's in this for the long haul. Which also should be a word to us who are walking with those who are suffering. Be careful. Just guard, guard your words. I found at times we go there so quickly of like, well, you're going through this hard time, but, but God's going to use it in someone else's life. And I'm positive a person needs to hear that and I'm positive I could mean really, really, mean really well in that. But maybe the person needs to sit in some grief and loss and maybe that healing will come later. I'm saying it may come a year later or five years later when they realize God redeemed this. But I I don't think anything is helped by us pressing immediately, trying to figure out, oh, God did this, so then this would happen. I really, really find that's probably more often than not harmful. Having said all that, I still realize how I've grown through the sufferings of other people. I mean, people that I, I've never even met, 
So Robin Johnston in our church recommended a book called When God Weeps by Johnny Erickson Tata. Johnny went through this horrible accident when she was a teenager. And she thought and she wrestled and she prayed and she sought God and out came this book that did so much deep work in my heart. The book's called When God Weeps. By the time I was done, it was When Curtis Weeps. God used her suffering in countless ways. God used the suffering of a of a theology teacher named Kelly Capick who writes about like what it means to live. His wife has this condition where she is just weakened. Her body is weakened and he writes helpfully there. I think God has taken them through suffering and I benefit and I learn and I grow. I think of David Pallison writing as he walked through can- cancer. I mean, again, these are people that I don't call friends. I just see how God worked in their life. But I don't actually have to have strangers because in this very room are people who God has used you. Maybe you didn't even realize it, but as God has poured out his comfort in your life, it's actually overflowed and spilled over into my life. I've been the landing spot of God overflowing your life with comfort. I've watched people whose lives have been blown up actually get rebuilt piece by piece. I've watched some of you, I've been with you when you received some very, very bad news that life would would forever be changed. And I've watched you as you held on to Jesus. I don't know how many people I've watched endure a loss. And one day at a time, God's mercies are new every single morning. I've watched people who have every reason to like think about how hard the present is, actually live selflessly and live for the future. So this is what I know. As strong as Paul comes across, he has no desire for us to be isolated. Which is why even verse 8, he'll say, I don't want you to be ignorant about what I've been going through. I'm not going to keep you in the dark. Here's exactly what I've been going through. That's why he says in verse 11, you can help us by prayer. The idea is it begins to pull us together. It doesn't isolate us. If suffering weakens us, God sends active help. When suffering isolates us, God gives us each other. There's another place that 2 Corinthians 1 takes us again in this idea of redeeming some of our suffering. We have seen glimpses of it in verse 4 and that actually our suffering could benefit others. Glimpses of it in verse 5 where our suffering could peel away the nominal like lip service to Jesus, peel all that away and go, what's really authentically you and your walk? But there's another place it goes and I I want us to see this because I think it could be very, very helpful to us. Especially when you begin to think there's nothing good that could come out of this. There's no benefit. I see no help in this. I don't understand it. I want to remind you that when suffering seems pointless, when suffering seems so pointless, God has a way of giving us perspective. When you begin to think about afflictions, when life gets hard, when they pile in, when they, when they pile on and press in, when things change, when things don't make sense, when you begin to wonder, is there any point? What is going on? When you, begin to, when you begin to ask those questions, maybe some of you think like you can never ask questions of God. 
if you think that, I just want to point you to Psalms and Job and Jeremiah and Lamentations and Isaiah and Ezekiel and a lot more books where people are going, God, I don't understand. What are you doing? Lord, help. Lord, why is it going this way? When suffering begins to seem pointless, our heads and our hearts start going places. I'm so glad for the transparency of Paul. Look at verse 8. Paul's going to account a time when he was in Asia, which is our modern-day modern Western Turkey. He's going to remind us of a time when actually the wheels came off spiritually for him. He says, we don't want you to be unaware, brothers, verse 8, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. The idea, Paul's saying there was such great pressure, it was beyond his capacity. This is a high-capacity man. Like, he can endure a whole lot, and now he says it actually stripped the gears of the capacity to deal with all the situations. It was so, so difficult. And the realization began to set in, like, I may not make it. The burdens got so heavy, like, I can't lift them. What happens there, actually some refreshing honesty in verse 9. He says, indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. In other words, I think he's saying, we did lose hope for a season. Actually, what we did feel is that we had received a death sentence. We thought it was all over. Our time was done. And notice he says in verse 9, we felt this. So Paul has no problem telling us about his feelings, which is just a good reminder because sometimes we seem to think God didn't make us with feelings, so our feelings shouldn't have any capacity, shouldn't have any bearing on any situation, which couldn't be further from the truth. If God didn't want you to have feelings, he would have made you without them, but he gave those to you. The problem, the challenge is we begin to take our feelings and we begin to write a story with our feelings. That sometimes we finish a story and it, it actually isn't accurate. It, it isn't exactly how God will work. And sometimes our feelings begin to write God out of the equation. So the feelings are valid, but where do we take those? Paul said, we felt just like we had received a death sentence. But then there's this turn, right? Verse 9, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God. There is a purpose in it all. That's perspective. That's perspective. When suffering seems pointless, God gives us perspective. And it's not cheap and it's not simplistic. It didn't come easy for Paul. The question is, he's being taught about his reliance. Like, what do you rely on? What do you have confidence in? God is resettling that. And I thought about that more. Even this morning, I was thinking, when God resettles what we rely on, we think like we can prop ourselves up on something and then God takes that away from us and we realize we were relying on that thing too much. It isn't like we're flowing down this nice stream that has a different change of direction. It's like an avalanche coming down on us saying, what on earth? And life turns upside down and we go, I don't know how to deal with this. And in that moment, we begin to recognize, I might just might have trust issues when it comes to God. For all of my many years as a Christian, 
for all the many Bible verses I know, for all the songs I can sing by heart, for all the hours of my life in settings just like this. God begins to shake the things I rely on. And the question comes, do I, do I trust him? Or do I start pulling out the question marks? Ah, Lord. What is it that makes you say, Lord, I need you. I need you. Every hour, I need you. Not in the sense of like God being on call, a concierge that'll help you, whatever thing you need, he's glad to help. But almost like the oxygen you would breathe, like I need that. I love, I love all the words, but I love 10 words in particular here. When Paul says all this was teaching us to rely, these 10 words here, not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. And so much of my life needs to be lived right in those 10 words, not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead who has a track record of doing this. This is who he is. This is what he does. And exhibit A, like the, the, the prime example of God raising someone from the dead is Jesus Christ. So we actually get united to him in the story, in the idea of suffering. There's something even uniting us with Christ in resurrection. God raises us even through suffering just like he has raised Christ. If he can bring people back to life, the question would be, what exactly can I, can I find to trust him for? What exactly is out of bounds? What is like, well, he would be overmatched by this. Kind of saying, if he can raise the dead, there's nothing that he cannot do. And I do need to be reminded of that. I'm guessing you do too. That has to become your story. That can't even just be like your friend's story. This trust in the God who raises the dead, is that your story? Have you come like face to face with an encounter with Jesus, who raised Jesus from the dead so that you would not be separated from him. The words go further. Look at verse 10. He delivered us from such a deadly peril. He will deliver us. On him we've set our hope that he will deliver us again three times. Just kind of pounding it, pounding it, pounding it. Our hearts are going to ride on this. We're going to really have to wrestle this out. Am I settled on the fact that he will rescue, he will deliver? And right there at the end of this section, verse 11 closes kind of this introduction with actually a way that gratitude could spike. Look at verse 11. You also must help us by prayer. Here's how you're going to help. You can pray for us and God will answer the prayers and will bless us and then others will see this and will thank God and God will be glorified. There are times where God just unilaterally acts. He does it on his own. And then there are so many times where actually it is God working, make no mistake, but he incorporates our prayers into the mix. He brings us along. So Paul is able to say, as we suffer, you can help us by prayer. 
so that when God sustains us, when we persevere, when we don't quit on Jesus, when we don't quit on our faith, when we don't like decide we're not in this anymore, decide this isn't what I signed up for, when God keeps us to the very end, many will give gratitude. This is the bigger picture. When I read this passage, it it's tough in many ways. It's tough because I don't find shortcuts. When you're sitting in awful places with awful things that have happened, there's not like an easy way out. There are no easy answers, but I do find a lot of grace. I don't find answers that Sometimes I I don't even know this side of the new heavens and new earth. Will we even get it all figured out? Sometimes we have to just, we're trusting that what God said in 2 Corinthians, that this affliction is in comparison to what we're going to enjoy, it's light. And in comparison to how long eternity, it's, it's really temporary. Like that isn't easy to receive, but it is God's grace to us if you're overwhelmed with suffering today. I do want you to know I prayed for you. And I prayed in a couple different directions and thinking about you. If you're overwhelmed by suffering, I hope you've heard loud and clear, you don't have to be isolated in it. There's probably a friend or two, if you don't, like, if you don't know anybody in here, there's, I mean, Sean prayed earlier, Nick's led us in worship, for Paul is saying, I'll be here, Pastor, I mean, there are enough people that it would make our day to at least pray and walk with you and maybe be a tangible, tangible reminder that God cares. Please, please reach out. And for others where you go, Curtis, This message has been helpful, but I think I'm in this for a long haul. This has helped give me some perspective. And I've realized God's bringing active help, but I think my season of suffering is going to be a while. I actually want to invite you deeper into 2 Corinthians. Because the whole book Paul is working through, it's like one of the hardest books to read because of how much pain he endured. And he goes through chapter after chapter after chapter. And maybe all of it won't be immediately applicable to your situation, but a ton of it will. So maybe for this season where God maybe has prolonged suffering or affliction, I prayed maybe someone, some of you would find a home and find some help, God's active help through this book of the Bible. Can I, can I pray that the Lord would be present knowing what each one of us needs, that God would bring active help? I'd like to do that and then we'll close our, our time together. Yes, Lord, we, um, we need that help. You promise you don't abandon, you don't walk out on your children. You also have reminded us you're the one that tracks down people who are lost. So I pray the person who is scared and fearful, tired and cynical, would find a warm reception from you today. that they would know who you are and what you've done. Maybe in a more real way than they've ever known before. 
So Lord, our lives are yours. Uh, I don't know the season of suffering that I might be facing. I don't know the season of suffering my friends might be facing, but you know. And I pray that you would be the God of all comfort and the Father of mercies. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.